0: The more self-compassion we have, the more motivation we're going to have because we let go of that all-or-nothing thinking. We stop thinking that we have to achieve it all. A self-compassion almost gives us a space to fall and that be okay because we don't have to have it all together. Welcome to the Eat, Live and Move podcast by Miyagi. A space where we bring you the latest science-backed conversations, expert insights, and practical tips relating to all things health and wellness. Hello, I'm Dr. Gina Cleo, your personal habit change expert.
1: And I'm Dr. Ross Walker, a cardiologist and preventative health expert.
0: Together with our 60-plus years of collective experience, we're on a mission to help you to improve your health and transform your habits so you can eat, live, and move better one episode at a time without the fluff or the fads. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that is so important in helping us achieve our health and wellness goals, and also for many areas of our life, whether it's our careers or finances or relationships. But interestingly, it's also an area that's often overlooked or not necessarily viewed as important, and that is the power of self-compassion. We're going to explore what it is and why it's so important to have self-compassion especially when we're working on ourselves or towards a certain goal. Then we're going to dive into some really practical ways that, you know, you can apply self-compassion if that's something that you're not already doing right now. And of course, we're going to finish up our episode with our member question of the week. But before we begin, a quick reminder to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to so you can get notified every time a new episode drops. Now, I have had a real personal journey with self-compassion, so I'm really looking forward to unpacking this. I certainly used to be someone that didn't believe much in self-compassion and certainly didn't give myself a lot of self-compassion, and it's probably because of the way I was parented that I would say. But I want to unpack firstly, like, what is self-compassion so that we're all on the same page? The definition of self-compassion is essentially giving yourself the same kindness, gentleness, and care that you would give a friend, especially during times of difficulty. And it includes things like having empathy and kindness and forgiveness and being caring and tender and various synonyms for acceptance and non-judgment. Ross, what's been your experience with self-compassion?
1: Well, I, I often say when I'm talking about these sort of things that if you don't if you can't learn to love yourself, you can't love anyone else. And so and I think it's not just your external language, but I think it's also your internal language. Uh, how often do you call yourself an idiot? How, how often do you put yourself down for things you've done wrong? And I, I think many people say, that, oh, I am so anxious about what might happen tomorrow. I'm so annoyed about what I did a few days ago. There's a wonderful saying that a, um, a sinner has a past and a saint has a future. So I think it's really important that we do learn self-compassion. And, and look, it's interesting. The concept of self-compassion was developed by psychologist Kristen Neff almost 20 years ago, and it has three main components. So over to you, Gina. You're the expert.
0: I love Kristen Neff. I've actually got her book right here on my bookshelf. I'm going to have to grab it. And of course, it's appropriately, appropriately named Self-Compassion. Now, the three main components of self-compassion are self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So self-kindness, it's about like being warm and understanding towards ourselves rather than being harsh or critical or judgmental. And it really just involves like the acknowledgement of imperfection and that imperfection is part of being a human being and responding to ourselves with sympathy and with love. And I think this is really important, especially when we're talking about achieving goals, because I think we often expect or want or desire our success to be this linear process, but it's never going to be like that, especially with changing our habits. It is always going to be a process of two steps forward, one step back. I always say to people, it's not a matter of if you fall off the wagon, it's a matter of when you fall off the wagon. And I think self-compassion and that self-kindness is so important when that Inevitably happen.
1: And having good knee and elbow guards so you don't scrape yourself too much. Oh my
0: God. Seriously, Ross, at it again. (laughs) Then we've got common humanity is that second component of self-compassion. And this is really about recognizing that suffering and personal inadequacies are part of the shared human experience. Rather than feeling isolated or unique in our own struggles, self-compassion involves understanding that literally everybody faces challenges and every single person makes mistakes it's so easy to idolize certain people people like us like doctors the people just think that I have amazing habits and you must have a heart of you know I don't know what kind of heart do you have like a bionic heart probably Ross
1: I don't think so no mine just chugs away all day doing what it's supposed to be doing
0: good but essentially we all make mistakes
1: don't we oh yeah yeah and and I mean that's the point. It's it's really really weird. I find as a doctor, you might say, oh, "I got sick the other day," and people say to me, "But you're a doctor. Doctors don't get sick. Yeah, doctors don't have emotional problems." Don't I mean really? I mean, uh, we're, we're we're all we're all a little bit unusual. It's just varying degrees of uh, weirdness. That's all.
0: I like to call it spiciness rather than weirdness.
1: Yeah, some people I know. I like,
0: even got working. a chili tattoo on my arm, like that's spicy, you know, bit, we're all a bit spicy. Okay,
1: I just put it on my food, not on my arm. You
0: know what? Whatever you choose, that's fine. Now, the last component of self-compassion, of course, is mindfulness. It's about approaching our own thoughts and feelings with an open, non-judgmental awareness, and mindfulness allows us to observe our emotions without getting too entangled in them, which really promotes that balanced perspective on our experience. And this is so much easier said than done, you know, to have a thought or a feeling and not being judgmental about it, because I think we're so, I guess, used to thinking this is a bad thought or this is a a negative emotion, when really mindfulness is just about being totally non-judgmental and just having that awareness.
1: You see, I I often say on that very subject that people should be really nurturing inside themselves that conscious observer, that non-judgmental conscious observer that should be there, that little voice in the head. that's not the monkey brain that puts your your thoughts all over the place and you're anxious about everything, but just saying, you know what, maybe you should just tone it down a bit, not a criticism, just tone down, take a breath, and just be aware, just be just be present in the moment. I think that's it's, it's interesting. Um, I was interviewing someone on my radio show the other other day. He's our resident psychiatrist, Dr. Tani Ahmed. And he was talking about the difference between anxiety and depression. And he made a really interesting point, a bit what I was saying about the, the, the saint has the future and the sinner has the past. He's saying that anxiety is is really a feeling of not being happy about what may happen in the future, whereas depression is more what has happened to you in the past. And they're, they're different sort of feelings.
0: Yeah. And I find that so interesting because most of the time our minds are either in the future or the past. Like rarely are we truly in the present moment. Yeah. It's such a gift when we can do that for ourselves. And do you think that you've got these, I guess, this mentality, Ross, do you think it's because you've been meditating for 30 years? you think that's helped you with that mindfulness?
1: Absolutely. But also I've I've got this magnificent wife I've been married to for 46 years who keeps me very grounded. So I I think it's a lot of things, but meditation has been a big thing for me, Sven. I think everyone should have a half half an hour of silence every day. I think that's really important as well, because that grounds you. You, You're very, very present when you meditate.
0: Yeah. God, I'm sure the parents are all like, please give me that 30 minutes of silence a day. (laughs) Now, the biggest and most successful transformations come from a place of self-love and self-compassion, not self-loathing. And this is evidence-based people. This is I've pulled that straight from the research. Now, but if I asked you to list off all the things that you loved, you know, how long would it sa- would it take for you to say yourself? Self-compassion is not about self-indulgence. It's not like, "Oh, go on, snooze your alarm for another 15 minutes again today." And it's certainly not self-pity. It's about recognizing in ourselves that we're human and we are naturally imperfect and that we're all in this together you know a parent who loves their child isn't going to say yeah go on do whatever you want to because that's not care it's not protection a loving parent sets boundaries and rules but you know they all come from a place of care now on the opposite side or the opposite end of the scale of self-compassion is self-criticism I think is something that we're all pretty good at doing as being self-critical Self-criticism is strongly linked with feelings of unhappiness, dissatisfaction in life, and self-sabotage. If you don't love something, you're not going to be motivated to treat it very well. If if you tell yourself that you're a failure, you're going to act in ways that align with those thoughts. If you tell yourself that setbacks are a part of any success stories, that belief system enables you to not only cope with the stress of life, but to thrive in the face of it. So self-compassion feels good and it gives us, you know, that sense of wanting to treat our bodies well because we deserve to be treated well.
1: So what what just just give us some sort of idea of the difference between self-criticism versus self-compassion, how they sit.
0: Yeah, love it. So self-criticism is like viewing your mistakes as a failure and falling into cycles of negative self-talk. Self-compassion, on the other hand, is knowing that we're all imperfect and mistakes are how we learn and grow. Self-criticism is judging your self-worth by your performance or your external success, like what you've been able to achieve. Whereas self-compassion is understanding that we are so much more than our accomplishments. And then lastly, self-criticism is striving for perfection and it's that unrelentingness. Whereas self-compassion is just striving for fulfillment and for progress.
1: So I've got this feeling you're about to read a passage from a book by <laughs> Kristen. Because
0: I'm like, oh, I just love this book. Yeah,
1: I think so it's I'm because not. you love that damn book. So please, <laughs> read, do, us, read us I'm the passage.
0: Damn book, Ross. Oh, Wash your mouth out. <laughs> sorry,
1: that wonderful book by Kristen.
0: I would love to read you this passage. It says, self-compassion involves valuing yourself in a deep way making choices that lead to well-being in the long term. Self-compassion wants to heal dysfunctions, not perpetuate them. There's nothing wrong with occasionally indulging yourself, of course. Sometimes eating that piece of lemon cheesecake is actually a form of self-care, but overindulgence, like eating the whole cheesecake, doesn't feel good and it's counterproductive because it prevents us from achieving what we really want, which is to reach our highest potential. Well,
1: there are several reasons why it's so important to have self-compassion. Uh, one is it's really important to be motivated to do things. And see, this is one of the things I talk about in my preventative health programs. There are five components of the preventative health program. And uh, I won't go through them all right at the moment. Maybe that's a talk for another podcast. But one of the big ones is motivation. And it's interesting that there are really four quadrants of motivation and and different people are motivated by one of the different things in these quadrants. So some people are just motivated by uh, power and money. And so when they get ill, all they want to do is to be able to get well enough to get back to work. And that's, that's their major motivation. Other people are, in, are motivated by things like altruism. They want to do the right thing. And so so again, all they want to do is get back to be able to inspire people and do the, and be an example for other people. Other people are motivated by hedonism. All they care about is pleasure. Doctor, will I be able to have my cheesecake again after the heart attack? And then, then finally, some people are rightly so motivated by love. You know, you've got the grandparent that just want, want to be well so they can continue to care for their grandchildren as one example. So I think motivation is a really, really tricky thing to deal with, but you have to find out what motiva- what motivates that particular person in, to allow them then to go to their self-compassion their place of self-compassion. There's no point talking to somebody who's a pure hedonist about altruism. They don't care about that.
0: That's true, but it also works in a cycle. The more self-compassion we have, the more motivation we're going to have because we let go of that all or nothing thinking. We stop thinking that we have to achieve it all. And so self-compassion almost gives us the space to fall and that be okay because we don't have to have it all together. Yeah,
1: I no, I agree. And, and uh, I, I think we can all relate to this one. I Think about the time when you set yourself a goal, no matter how big or small. Let's say, for example, it was to exercise three times a week. Short of this, because that week you had other commitments like your daughter's dance. I've got to tell you, one of the worst days of my life was was going to the North Shore Dance Academy for three hours where I watched all these children with whom I share no DNA to see my daughters for about 30 seconds on the stage. But yeah, that aside, I digress. You
0: love that. I,
1: that's absolutely- hours. That is commitment. It sounds
0: like you're still resentful about it. How long ago was that? Oh, that
1: was about uh, 20 years ago. I'm still getting therapy, still getting therapy. Do
0: you still tell them about it? Do you still sit there and go, I sat for three no, no. hours
1: and watched all I make a joke. Kids joke about it. Um, uh, so it's or your son's soccer practice on a Thursday, but you can approach it in two ways. You can beat yourself up like I did on that day of the North Shore Dance Academy, um, or <laughs> that you didn't reach your goal. Tell yourself you're a failure; you're never going to achieve it. Or give yourself some self compassion. Take it as a learning experience, and think about how, even if it is the North Shore Dance Academy, you can improve it for the next week. And or you could have what's called the Pollyanna principle. Now, many people don't don't know who Pollyanna was, but she would she she was in this wonderful movie called Strangely Pollyanna. And she'd go to church and she'd walk out of church with this huge smile on her face, this boring, boring sermon. And they said, why are you smiling? She said, because well, it's another week before
0: I have to go through that again. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> Which is great.
0: <laughs> haven't watched the movie, haven't heard of the theory. I do really love the strategy, though, of <laughs> having self-compassion. When you don't get to your goal, you know, there's three exercise sessions a week, if that's your goal. And you've got all these, because life happens. It, it happens, whether it's dance classes, soccer practices, or something else, life happens. So it's okay.
1: And then there's the second approach. You like to remain motivated, positive, and keep moving forward rather than getting yourself into a negative mindset where all this negative self-talk tells you you can't do something. You're ultimately going to give up on it because you believe you just can't do it.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Now, I'd love to talk about some tips then to improve self-compassion because I think we're pretty convinced that it's a good idea. But how do we actually do it right? So research shows that the more we practice being compassionate and kind to ourselves, the more that we're going to apply good habits of self-compassion. So here are some tips to help you practice a bit more self-compassion in your day. The first thing is visualize your best friend or close family member. When facing a challenge, imagine what advice or support your best friend would offer you, and then you want to apply that same advice or support to yourself. Have you ever done that before, Ross? Um, I can't
1: say I have, actually, but it's a very good tip. It's a damn fine tip, if you ask me.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. I pulled that out of the research, but I'll take your gratitude anyway, and then top that off with tip number two, which is creating a self-compassion mantra. Now, it is so odd as a scientist to talk about visualization and mantras and meditation, but honestly, there is so much evidence behind this, I wouldn't be saying it otherwise. So having a mantra, you can call it whatever you want to, right, an affirmation, is really just a short positive phrase that you can repeat to yourself when you're having those challenging times. And it can be something like, I'm doing my best, I'm doing everything I can, or I deserve kindness and understand. What are your mantras? I, I've got to say,
1: I use mantras every day when I'm doing my meditation. So I do it more as a preventative thing rather than waiting till the disaster happens. So, so yes, Ooh, I- Can
0: I'm, we pry into what your mantras are? Um, I, I, not really,
1: no, no. Too personal? Too, they're very, <laughs> they're right, very personal, we'll but I, right I, 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 certainly, I certainly do use them as a form of, of meditation, as a form of motivation.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. Can I ask you this? Are they related to your personal life or your career or both?
1: Just related to my feelings and related to basically how I feel about myself. Um, so no, I don't.
0: Ross, I never in my life would have taken you for someone who has mantras about their feelings. And that's just beautiful. I would just give you a big bear hug if you were in the same room as me right now.
1: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep you to that when I need to see you next
0: what else? What other tips, Ross? Do you think we can do to improve self compassion?
1: Well, well, we've we've just been talking about mindfulness and and meditation, and I, I think look look I think one of the best things that happened to me as far as this goes, the best thing that happened to me, of course, was meeting my beautiful wife. But one of the best things is is when I learned meditation. I, I I'll tell you, it's an interesting story because the I was the landlord for a guy who was who was a psychiatrist, and he was the head of the Australian TM Foundation. And it's interesting, there's a wonderful Buddhist saying that when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And I was going under a fair bit of stress at the time, and he came and said, I've got to teach you meditation. So he he actually taught me. The head of the TM Foundation Australia taught me Transcendental Meditation 30 years ago. And the first six weeks, I thought, this is completely useless. But being the only retentive neurotic that I am, I persisted with it. And after six weeks, it started to kick in. Now I just couldn't imagine a life without it. So... So my strong advice to everyone is to get a meditation teacher and learn how to meditate. I'll just tell you one interesting story. When I talk at conferences, I actually if offer offer the service that I will take a meditation course for them. So I'll teach, teach people meditation. And I, I had about 80 people light out in the ballroom floor in New Zealand talking for the insurance company AXA many years ago, about 20 years ago. And after the talk... A young woman came up to me. She was about 32, and she said, um, she said Doc, I had the weirdest feeling then. I, I felt someone was pulling a cord out of the center of my chest. And I to to get a bit ethereal now, I just unblocked her fourth chakra, if you want to get into that. And uh, and so I I said to her, tell me about your medical history, because I knew what she was going to say. She said, I had breast cancer a year ago. And I said, yeah, I know. And I said, well, you have to keep working on that area and meditate through that area so you just visualize the thing going through so so it's it's really interesting i heard 10 years later she was still well and still meditating and so i think i meditation is extremely powerful and i'm i'm a cardiologist so i treat people with heart trouble but but i'm saying i also believe at a preventative level those 5 keys we've spoken about before and part of that is happiness and contentment and meditation to me is a wonderful way of getting happiness to contentment and subject of today's.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. One thing that's really helped me on my journey of self-compassion is having supportive people around. So ironically, so many of my friends yeah. are psychologists. I don't, I don't know if they've picked me or if I've picked them, but here we are. And I find that, you know, I can share just a story with them and they probably put their psychologist hat on and they say something really empathic and it helps me so much to go, well, yeah, you know, I, I could just actually reframe it like that or see it like that. And the other thing they've really helped me to do mm. is being able to celebrate my achievements, whether they're big or small. You know, I've been through a, a really horrible separation with my ex husband. I found out he was cheating on me. I went through this really traumatic event.
1: And yeah, I never liked him. Never. Yeah,
0: he was a dropkick. I know if you're listening, you're a dropkick, but he won't be listening anyway because, you know, this is self improvement. Moving right on from that is <laughs> really, you know, my friends, I, they helped me to be able to celebrate those little wins. You know, the fact that I can be vulnerable again and be remarried to someone else to, you know, be able to get up on my feet again and pay my own house off and do all these things that, you know, somebody else would think just, you know, I guess other people would struggle with that. And it it was a struggle.
1: But can I say, it's a superb point that it's really important to surround yourself with positive people, people who will who will really inspire you to be your best? And I think that's the and that that's your family and your close friends and people who actually value you. Because the, the trouble with our world is there are not too many people who will celebrate your success, and and it's, it's you've got to be around people who actually do care and do want you to do well and want you to be happy.
0: Yeah, that's very true. It's definitely been a game changer for me. Yeah.
1: This final one here, which is journaling. I, I think it is really important to keep some sort of journal or diary where you do write down what you feel. And in fact, it, it's it's been shown it's been shown on numerous occasions that people who, who just do a thing called image streaming, which is just writing down any any random thoughts that might come into your brain, it actually increases your IQ. So let, let alone it's great for your self compassion, but it's just it's just good to. Uh, it's a bit like goals. Goals that are not written down are just dreams, but goals that are written down and put in some sort of journal, become goals.
0: You know, I struggle so much with journaling. Like, I know it's good for you. I read it all the time. But I'm just not a journaler. I don't like writing things down. I'll write down my goals. I've got to-do lists for everything. But talking about my feelings when I'm writing it down, I'm like, I just want to process it externally. Like, I want to talk to someone about it.
1: Yeah, but that's we're, we're all different. I mean, there are people who are visual learners, people are auditory learners, people are kind of learners. You just got to find out whatever works for you. I don't, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. You find out what works for you. It's a bit like exercise. People say to me, Doc, what's the best form of exercise? It's not walking. It's not swimming. It's not cycling. It's one you'll keep doing. So if you hate going to the gym, don't go to the gym because you won't keep doing it. I mean, I, I'm one of the worst swimmers on the planet. When I have sw- swimming, people think i I'm, I'm having I'm drowning because I'm so bad. But one of my best mates is an Olympic swimmer and he loves swimming. So just whatever whatever switches you on.
0: I like it. You know what switches me on? This book by Kristen Neff. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you should have mentioned that. Yeah, you should try. have mentioned it. Yeah. You know what? I've got another little quote. For you from the book, I'm this, sure you have. That's a real one. What here. a shock! <laughs> no, no, listen to this. You'll you'll love it. It says, "Self-compassion is a practice of goodwill, not good feelings. With self-compassion, we mindfully accept that the moment is painful, and embracing ourselves with kindness and care is in response, remembering that imperfection is part of the shared human experience." Ugh, isn't that good? And then my absolute most favorite quote from her, this I actually wrote in my book and I credited her. She says, a moment of self-compassion can change your entire day. A collection of such moments can change the course of your life. Boom. That's a drop mic moment, that one. And do you
1: know that somewhere around the world, Kristen Neff is, is uh, is she's quoting something from one of your books. Oh. <gasps>
0: Wouldn't I would have such a starstruck moment because I love her. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. <laughs> or should I say, Dr. Neff? <laughs> now I've got one more quote for you because I've look. I've written a lot about self compassion. It's something I've obviously researched a lot for myself and for my clients. And this quote is just a really nice. It's like a warm blanket. All right. It says, "Little seeds. Today I will be good to myself, and tomorrow maybe a little bit better." Until being good to me is a little easier, and maybe even someday, not so hard at all. Aww, did you feel the warm blanket?
1: Oh, look, I had this little goosebumps running up my spinal cord, just a bit of a kundalini moment just then, yeah.
0: Excellent. Now, Ross, we're going to end with our member question for the day. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. All right. This one is from Katie who says, I've struggled with my mental health most of my adult life. I try to do things like meditation and regular exercise, which both help, but I've read that certain foods and the Mediterranean diet can help with depression. Is this true? What foods should I be focusing on to help?
1: Okay. Well, interestingly, a a lot of people don't realize this, but there's a strong link between gut dysbiosis, which is a problem in the microbiome. So all of us are about 40 trillion human cells and somewhere between 40 to 100 trillion gut bacteria. So our gut bacteria are pretty important for us to have a balanced life and to feel well. And We've we've heard so much over the past few decades, especially in the last decade, about the vital importance of having a healthy gut microbiome. And tragically, uh, not many people do. And many people have gut symptoms, but there's also systemic symptoms that are related to uh, having a a gut dysbiosis, and also there's a link between gut dysbiosis and depression. So for example, a lot of people don't realize that 90% of serotonin, which is the mood chemical, is made in the gut by healthy gut bacteria. So I, I think if people follow the Mediterranean diet, there's nothing flash about it. We all should be having two or three pieces of fruit per day. We should be having three to five servings of vegetables, servings about a half a carrot. It's not a huge amount. Less than 10% of people do. And so I think it's really important that people look at the fruit and vegetables. I think it's good to take a good quality probiotic, but not all probiotics are created equal. And what else is the Mediterranean diet? Well, it's avoiding processed package muck masquerading as food. And 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 keeping down your intake of, of all the sugary-based things. So, so I think, yes, following a Mediterranean-style diet, which is basically the fruits and vegetables, little bits of meat, eggs, dairy, chicken, fish, nuts, and olive oil, that will certainly help. And, and another good point here about somebody who's suffered with mental health issues, exercise is very important. So three to five hours of exercise every week is also very good.
0: Yeah, love it. And I think I think Katie said that she did exercise. Um, so, yeah, it's really just talking about the diet. And something that I would add to that, Ross, I love all those points, is having things like omega-3 fatty acids have been shown to help with depression. So, you know, those uh, omega-3 fatty acids are found in fatty fish, in flax seeds and chia seeds and walnuts, um, and they really do help to improve our mood as well as uh, nuts and seeds, A bit of dark chocolate will always go a long way. And here's one that not many people talk about is water, is staying hydrated is so crucial for our overall health. It helps our gut microbiome and having being hydrated actually does the opposite of having a negative mood and the opposite of us not being able to concentrate. So it can really work on
1: Yep. Yep. No, I totally agree with all of that. I think that they're very important points.
0: Wonderful. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode on Eat, Live and Move with Miyagi. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited about next week's episode because it's a topic that everyone needs to hear and anyone can benefit as we approach the new year, we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. Do they really work? And should we even be setting them in the first place? It's going to be an insightful discussion. So please make sure that you tune in to this episode. And whatever platform you're listening to today, please hit subscribe so you don't miss out when we drop a new episode. That's all from us. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.